Hello, everyone. Hello, my angels of the land. Uh, welcome to episode 19. This episode is going to be what you focus on expands. So that's the topic. Um, it sounds like it's just like a general kind of saying, but at the same time, I really want to talk about literally the neuroscience behind that and how that affects all the areas of your life, whether it's you're focusing on someone else, something that someone else is doing, whether you're talking about your relationship with yourself or your relationship towards your goals um, and kind of where you can make shifts and changes and all of that. Now, firstly, let's talk about what has been going down in the week to date. Nothing too hectic, I must say. I've been pretty heavy, heavily into the textbooks and um, journal articles and all that stuff. I'm writing an essay pretty fucking interesting actually and it's just comparing you know like pathology between Parkinson's disease and dementia with Lewy bodies and all of that and I'm really into anatomy of the brain that's one of my favorite things about neuroscience is anatomy and you know l- looking at kind of brain scans also pharmacology all the really sciencey side of things as well as obviously mindset and behavior so it's actually been really interesting while it's been hard work I've been loving it sick so that's a plus and that's due in like four days so I think I don't know I'm, I'm doing quite well time management wise which is a big fucking plus secondly I went and got a haircut now this is a big deal for me if you guys have listened to that podcast I can't remember which one it was to be honest but it's where I'm talking about my hair I think it was like the ask me anything podcast have we even had that is that even a thing maybe it's the whatever, I'm not even going to bore you with me pondering this, but it was a podcast that I talk about the history of my hair and how I've bleached it in the past and fucked it up and where it is now. Anyway, I decided to get a haircut because I haven't had one in like six months and made the decision that I'm going to be coloring my hair. This is a big deal for me. I've had black hair for the last five years and my hair is, I would say, almost black. It's probably like one shade of being black. And I just color it black with, you know, I get it colored black um, with a fucking shitty box dye. So the hairdresser, Alicia, she was like, look, I need to take a sample of your hair because if you're using box dye, we're not sure how like easily that color is going to lift. So anyway, she's taken a sample of my hair. She did the test on it and apparently the color has lifted quite well. So in the next two week and a half... I'm going to go lighter. And honestly, for me, my version of a change for my hair is quite subtle. In my eyes, it's huge. I'm going brown, dark brown. So it's literally the slightest change. But you know what? You live once, hair grows, nothing's permanent. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I love brown hair. So why not? I'll probably revert back to black hair in like a year or six months. But you know what? I'm here to live my best life. So that entails trialing brown hair for a little bit. Okay, another thing that I wanted to add to this podcast is a fun brain fact or myth. I think I'm going to start doing that at the start of the podcast just for, you know, just for good times. So, let's let's do it right now. Fun brain fact or myth, what I'm going to debunk today, well, I'm not debunking it. It has been debunked and I'm just going to tell you guys. It's the concept of there being left-sided left-sided brain and right-sided brain as far as people that are more left-brained are more logical thinkers and people that are right-brained are more creative thinkers and more artistic and all of that. 
That's not a thing that's actually been debunked. This actually came from this study that was done decades ago by this scientist, Sperry. And his research was trying to find if there were areas and functions within the brain that were localized to one hemisphere. Like, for example, language is normally going to be in one hemisphere, not both. And there are certain things, language is the main one, but there's certain things that occur within the brain that's only going to be in one hemisphere over the other. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. It's so there's not cross-communication for absolutely everything that happens in the brain. It's kind of not necessary for the brain to be processing language on both sides. Whereas, you know, if you look at movement, all the right side of the body, most of the right side of the body is controlled by the left side of the brain and vice versa. So while this guy was able to prove that um, different processes occur exclusively on different brain hemispheres, that then got warped by popular psychology in like articles in Time Magazine and the New York Times and all of that to be interpreted as you're either dominated by one side of the brain or the other and if you're more logical then you're more left-brained and if you're more um, creative then you're more right-brained but that actually has not been proven at all if anything it's been disproven where they did like a massive study of like a thousand brains um, in a functional MRI machine and they got people just in their resting state and it the, an, an MRI which is magnetic resonance imaging basically reads activity in the brain by reading it kind of can see where the blood flow is occurring and when you're using parts of the brain, that's where oxygenated blood is going to be and that's kind of how you see where activity occurs in the brain with an MRI. So they got people in a resting state, which means that weren't getting them to perform a task or not think of anything in particular. They're just chilling out and they were looking at kind of where there was blood flow within the brain um, and it turns out that out of a 1,000 brains, there was absolutely no no – evidence to show that one hemisphere is more dominant than the other in anyone. And what they also were arguing was that if this was the case, then the brain scan of an artist would be different to the brain scan of a mathematician and, you know, a musician and all of that. And all these scans have been done and there absolutely is no difference whatsoever in the actual makeup of the brain of an artistic person or a really mathematical, logical, scientific person. There's no difference. So that was debunked. So yes, there are several parts of the brain that are in control and dominate one um, task whether it be language or processing of a certain thing, but as far as your personality and the kind of person you are, that's not determined by one side of the brain being more dominant than the other. You use both your hemispheres pretty equally. They're both working quite a lot at all times. So there is your fun brain myth debunked. Okay, another thing that I quickly want to talk about before I get into the whole you know, spiel of the podcast is that I've made, I'm very excited about this and I've been thinking about this and working on it for a long time, but I've kind of updated how my Mindset Hacks program is going to run on my website. Okay, so the changes that I'm making is so far it's been like a homework sheet um, and a video on a given topic. How I'm going to change it now is I kind of want the Mindset Hacks to be an extension of the podcast episode. So what I do talk about on the podcast, that's still going to be the same, but then I will enhance upon what was discussed in the podcast. There will be kind of a podcast notes downloadable document, which will cover everything that was covered on the podcast 
plus additional points. I'm going to be giving homework tasks and exercises to do relevant to what the podcast topic was. So today, the podcast topic is what you focus on expands. I'm going to be going obviously into the neuroscience of all of that. Instead of a video, I'm going to be making it an audio file. That way, hopefully people will be able to like have it on their phones and listen to it without having to watch a video. I found that the video is probably not the best thing, especially because my thing is podcasting anyway. So I feel that it's probably not that. And also the video is just a bigger file, which is a bit of a, it's annoying. So that's kind of where the mindset hacks is. That's the direction it's heading. I'm so excited because as I've been doing it, I've gotten so much support from everyone and now I'm just able to kind of tweak it to be more what I want it to be. I'm starting to figure out ways of improving and making it better. So if you are doing the mindset hacks, guys, just let me know what you think about this new format this week. I'm pretty excited about it and would love to know what you guys think. So either email me or DM me. If you want to get onto Mindset Hacks and you have not yet, um, just go to alexisfernandez.live and it is there. So it's just a monthly subscription, 24 bucks a month, and you can cancel at any time. All right, let's get straight into it. Let's dive deep. I want to be breaking down this episode into three different sort of sections. So number one is I'm talking about how you interact with others, what you're focusing on and why these things keep happening as far as like your interaction and your relationship with other people, why you keep getting the same stuff occur. I'm going to talk about how you perceive and focus on what you think you're capable of, whether it's your abilities or whether it's goal setting or staying motivated or whatever. And then I'm going to talk about how you view yourself as a person, that whole self-love, self-hate body image, all of that. Then after I talk about those three things, I'm going to be talking about kind of the neuroscience behind it and all that jazz. Okay, number one, let's talk about how you interact with other people and why it keeps happening. So the main thing with this whole topic of what you focus on expands is that you need to really look at what it is that you're paying attention to, where it is that your thoughts are going and What are your current circumstances and are your circumstances a reflection of your language, of your thought patterns and of what you're choosing to focus on? Because often, maybe not in every area of your life, but often it is. Often your life situation confirms what it is that you believe and that you say. And I think a lot of people think that it's the other way around. They think, no, my life is this way, so I'm just telling it as it is. I'm, you know, my life is this and you know, dating shit and all, you know, men are fucked and you just keep getting that confirmation in your life that it's happening. So I'm just telling it as it is. Whereas I'm here to turn it around and say it's actually the other way around. The way you behave and the way you believe things and what you believe about other people and what you believe about yourself and what you choose to focus on is what not only what's going to keep coming back into your life, but what you're going to notice the most So for example, and I'm going to delve in a little bit deeper, but let's talk about this whole concept of all men are fucked, which I'm going to really tackle that in just a moment because that makes my blood boil. But anyway, let's talk about that. If you're a kind of person that's hating on men, right, because you've had an asshole treat you badly in the past or multiple, so you decide that it's appropriate to put a blanket rule on every man and decide that's it, they're all fucked, that's the decision I've made, what do you think is going to happen? Every time you see a man do something that's 
going to strengthen your belief, you're going to focus on that and be like, ha, see, that confirms my, my opinion. That confirms my belief. So I'm going to focus on it. And then if someone's doing something that's actually really good or whatever, you're probably either not going to notice it, not focus on it, or think it's just like, oh, well, that, that's, you know, that's a rare occasion. But, but in general, the men are, you know, they're fucked. And you're more likely, because this is your belief system and because you keep saying this, you're more likely to actively seek out those behaviors and those points in other people to confirm your beliefs and your thoughts because we like being right. People like being right. So if you're going to stand there and talk about how shitty a whole population of people are, you're going to look at things that are going to help confirm that you are right. So it's really dangerous to be someone that generalizes, especially when we're talking about 50% of the world's population, which is men. Something that's kind of pissed me off, and this is going slightly off topic, but something that kind of annoys me is I think people have seen me as... I'm obviously single, strong, independent woman, whatever. And I've spoken about bad relationships that I've been in in the past. That people have come to the conclusion, not everyone, but some people have come to the conclusion that I have a negative opinion of men or hate men or think that men are toxic. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I've had people DM me writing like things about like, you know, men are fucked because of this and that and, you know, thank you for putting forward this. I'm like, no, 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 no. You and I are not the same. Don't thank me in the same breath talk about how shit men are because you've got me all wrong. I need to clarify this right here, right now. If you're a man hater and you think that I agree with you, get off my podcast right now because that's fucked. Because if I was to make a generalization on men based on the men that are in my life, I would say that they are all amazing, supportive, beautiful people. Change your fucking language. Let's look at the men that are in my life. My father, my uncles, my cousins, my grandfathers that passed away and all the amazing friends that I have that are guys. All of them are supportive, smart, driven, intelligent, funny, fun, you know, spontaneous, wanting to do stuff there for me when I need it, have intelligent conversations, all of that. So why the fuck do, do people get the idea just because I'm single and I'm happy to be single that I don't like men? And if you're going to be one of those people that's kind of like a man hater and wants to generalize just because you've had some bad experiences, that's not okay. That's just as bad as being racist. You are generalizing because you've formed an opinion on a population based on a select few. I'm not about that. I don't support that at all. I don't think it's cool to say that. I'm a huge supporter of good people. Change your language. Instead of saying men are fucked, why don't you say toxic people are fucked? If you've dated toxic people, that's fine to have something against them. But why are you bunching them in with the entire population of men? And good luck finding a good man if you're emitting that fucking bad, low-vibe energy of all men are fucked. What do you expect? If I met a man that was going, all women are fucked, the last thing I'm going to do is want to hang out with him. So pay attention to your language. If you're going around saying all men are fucked, what the fuck do you think guys are going to – do you think a nice man is going to turn around and be like, let me prove you wrong? A nice man's going to be like – I'm tapping the fuck out of this conversation and I'm going to hang out with a woman who's actually normal, who's not going to discriminate when I've done nothing wrong. So 
that's something that I really wanted to clarify and it pierces me off when people think that I have something against men because that is, you, you could not be further from the truth. I have incredible men in my life. I fucking love men. I hate toxic people. Big difference. Big difference. And why is there a need for a separation? You're literally cutting out half the population. Fucking learn to coexist and be nice to one another. And I think the more you try and like bring the genders together, to work together, to be more collaborative, the less you're going to have of this bullshit of toxic people. The more you can isolate a toxic person. Because mind you, there are many toxic women in this world. Many toxic women. And I've encountered toxic women. But do you think I'm going to go around being like, women are fucked just because I've encountered, like it's, it doesn't make sense and it's pathetic. That language I don't have time for. If someone's going to be DMing me about, yeah, men are fucked. I once put up a status about toxic people and about 10 people DMed me about the status saying, yeah, men are fucked. And I'm literally responding being like, at no point did I say the word man in that status. I literally was talking about toxic people in general. So can we stop bunching a gender into a whole category of someone that you hate? Because that is not what I'm about, at least. Another thing that is quite common is that, and this comes from insecurities, but when you get used to picking people apart and pulling them down, even in your mind, you don't have to say it to their face, but when you meet someone and perceive them initially in that moment of meeting them if you perceive them as a threat because you might think that they're either more beautiful younger more successful have more attention are luckier whatever you want to label it in your mind if you perceive that often your initial instinct might be to cut them down but the problem with cutting them down there's a lot but I'm going to raise two main things here when you cut that person down you are strengthening the belief in yourself that you're not good enough. It's kind of like a, a catch-22 or an oxymoron or whatever you want to call it. The reason you cut someone down in your eyes is to build yourself up, right? Because you think if I can push them down further enough and if I can highlight as many flaws as possible, then I'm going to appear in my eyes to be better than them. You know, if I can pick out all these flaws, whether you do it silently or whether you announce it to other people and, you know, cut people down, they're both bad. But number one, that's what you're doing. You're trying to tell yourself that that person is less than you, despite appearances, they're actually below you. But what happens is that you start believing that in order to make yourself feel good, you have to bring people down, which confirms to yourself that you are not good enough standing standing there on your own, just being you, that in order to be good enough, you have to pull someone down. And the second negative thing that happens when you do that is that you limit the chances of you having a nice, healthy interaction with that person that you've just pulled down. So you're now either going to be envious, jealous, the chance of you opening up and being vulnerable or having a friendship with that person, a slim because you're, you're perceiving them as a threat. So this idea of what you focus on expands in this scenario is that you're focusing on, in order for me to feel good, I have to pull people down. So you start isolating yourself from new connections with anyone that could be perceived in your mind as a threat. You start to pull them down, you start to pull them down, and then the problem with that is then you strengthen your opinion to think, 
I am not good enough just being me because the only time I can feel good is if I pull someone down and I highlight enough flaws in that person in order to feel good about myself. So you there are strengthening. It's two things you're doing wrong. You're thinking bad things about that person so the likelihood of you turning around and liking them is lowered and you're telling yourself you're just not good enough. You're not good enough because if you felt good enough just being you, it doesn't matter who walks through the, through the door. It doesn't matter who's in that at that party or in that meeting or standing next to you. That shouldn't matter if you thought that you could hold your own and you were an individual enough that regardless of looks or appearances or smarts or whatever, that you're comfortable within your own self, you wouldn't need to do that. So every time you, you pull someone down, you're confirming the belief that you are right in saying that you're not good enough. So everything that I'm going to talk about in this podcast about what you think about expands is ultimately you trying to confirm that you are correct in something. And sometimes we kind of go against what we're actually trying to achieve. Like you want to try and make yourself feel good, but if the only way of feeling good is by pulling someone down, you're telling yourself, I'm not good enough unless I take action to bring someone else down. Then I'll be better only because they're lower. But that doesn't actually happen. You don't actually pull them down. You give yourself temporary happiness for long-term pain because then that strengthens these pathways of I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough. So you might feel good enough in that moment. But then next time you feel threatened, it's going to feel like a bigger threat. And then you can't control what's happening around you. You can't control what that person's going to bring to the table. What if you meet this person that in your eyes is just has absolutely everything, absolutely everything that you want. It's like the vision of the life that you want. What would you do then if, you, if the only way of feeling good was to pull someone down? How can you then pull down the person that you think has everything? It's just a, a flawed way of feeling good about yourself. You need to kind of completely make that independent and change your behavior patterns that when you meet someone, instead of bringing them down, your initial things should be to get out of your comfort zone and reach out and talk to them, form a connection instead of a divide. Now, I am going to talk about where you can use this for your benefit. So if what you focus on truly does expand, if you're going through a breakup, it's really common that we focus on the really good parts of that person and the really good parts of the relationship. This is normally when you've been the one that was dumped. But often you'll focus on, you know, the honeymoon period of the relationship, all the good aspects of that person, and you keep focusing and focusing on all the, you know, you're looking at the relationship through rose-colored glasses. So what happens? It expands. You start thinking that the whole relationship was as good as the highlight reel. You start thinking that no one is better than that person. You start putting your ex on a fucking pedestal. You put the relationship on a pedestal. And then it gets to a point where you are just suffocated by the concept that you may never get a relationship as good as the one that you were in because you're looking at it as the most amazing thing ever. So to counteract that, where I welcome you having negative thoughts about a person is when you're trying to get over someone, my tool or hack or tip or trick, whatever you want to call it, is that if you're thinking about your ex, right, and there's no chance that you're going to get back together. If you're thinking about your ex and thinking of something good, for every good point, I want you to think about three bad things or three annoying things that you didn't like about them. That really pissed me off about them. I hated it when they used to do this. When they spoke like that, that really pissed me off. That's a really good way of using this to your advantage. So 
I'm not some saint here. I think I've made that very clear. Um, I'm all for throwing shade on someone when it's deserved or when it's going to help you get over a, a breakup. So if you're in a situation where you absolutely are just struggling, instead of throwing shade on someone that you don't know just to feel better about yourself, why don't you kind of fuel that energy to help you? And if you're getting over an ex, think, you know what? I will feel more empowered by highlighting three things that annoyed me about you. I'm going to stop looking at you through rose-colored glasses. Yes, you might have been a good person, but no one's fucking perfect here. So I'm going to highlight bang, 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 bang. You know what? I actually don't want to think about you right now because I'm annoyed now focusing on the shit that annoyed me about you. It's a way of getting back the power. You start making the relationship a little bit more realistic. And the opposite goes for when you're in a relationship that you're trying to work on to improve. Every time you think about something negative, if you're trying to improve the relationship, replace it with three positive thoughts. What you focus on expands. So if you think negative, negative, negative about your ex, I can guarantee you if you only had negative thoughts about your ex within a week, you'd be like, be gone from my life and my thoughts, you pest. But you think about the good things about your ex. So that keeps expanding and they're occupying all this space in your mind, all this time in your day. It is a waste. So use that to your advantage. Now, the last thing I'm going to talk about as far as other people are concerned is when your expectations are too low of someone else. If you have low expectations about somebody or about what they're going to do and what they're going to achieve, that person is A, going to stay in your life continuing that behavior and B, never going to change because they know that there's a minimum requirement that every person has to hit to maintain a relationship with someone else. And you might not realize it, but in every relationship that you are involved in, there is a minimum requirement. Some relationships are harder work. Some relationships are more intellectual. Some relationships are toxic. Every relationship is unique in its way. But you know where the line is in every single relationship. And you can make that line clear with other people because people have made that line clear with you whether they realize it or not. So you know where the weak relationships are, where the people are easily manipulated. If I want something out of that person, I can get it. Hopefully you're a good person and you're not doing this. But you know where you stand in certain relationships. Then there are those really strong relationships that make you want to be a better person when you're around them because you think, wow, this person, when I'm around them, I can't, I can't bring bullshit to the table. I have to be more accountable for my actions. I can't make fucked excuses for things. Like that person makes me more accountable. That person is more real. And then you hang out with someone else that's always whinging and bitching and whining and complaining and you kind of slip into that pattern and then you're acting kind of less accountable for your own shit because you're around that personality and that, you know. So you'll notice that every single person brings something different to the table and there's a line of what is acceptable and what's not acceptable in that relationship. So the same goes for you. Where do you draw the line in relationships? Where's the threshold of what's acceptable and what's not? Because if you expect certain things from your friends to not change or, oh, but, you know, they're always going to do that or, oh, you know, it's just them or, oh, they're only joking or, oh, he does love me but he this or, oh, she's good but she's just, you know, she's just puts me down in front of my friends all the time because whatever or I like all this shit. If you expect it 
it's going to keep happening because they know that the line has not been drawn there. So let's say you're dating someone and you've got a terrible relationship with their parents, but you expect that that's the case. You expect, oh, you know, my relationship is really bad with their parents, but my partner's always going to be torn between me and his parents and every time I'm over, it's really toxic. They're always putting me down. I really feel insecure. I feel shit about myself. That is your partner crossing the line in the relationship, a line that actually doesn't exist because you didn't actually draw the line. If I was in a relationship and my partner's parents didn't like me, I've got to teach my partner how to treat me. You've got to teach people how to treat you. So if I go in saying, oh, you know, it's just your family, that's them, that's just who they are, I've got to accept it, nothing's going to change. If I go into the relationship and say, you know what, from now on, if your parents ever speak to me like that again, that's it, it's done. Your family dinners with me going there are done. I'm not going. End of story. Then your partner has to make a decision. Am I going to have the awkwardness of you never rocking up to a family dinner or am I finally going to grow a fucking spine and tell my parents not to talk to you like that ever again? You know, you have to draw the boundaries. And I, as I've gotten older, have gotten a lot better at doing that. But it's not age-related. You shouldn't wait till you're in your 30s, 40s or 50s to become assertive of what's acceptable and what's not. You can do it when you're 18 years old, when you're 25 years old. You know, it's not something that you've got to, like, grow into. It just happens to be the case that a lot of people only find that strength in them later on through negative experiences. But at the same time, these negative experiences can cause you to become weaker and not ever find that strength. Okay, let's now go into section number two, which is how you perceive your own abilities and capabilities. So we all have an idea in our mind of what we are capable of. We have a concept of what our level of intelligence is, how well we can focus, how motivated we normally are, how well we are at sticking to a task, et cetera, et cetera. To the extent that I know so many people that have self-diagnosed themselves with ADHD and that fucking pisses me off. I'm going to start a module, what's it called, like a segment on my podcast on pet hates. That's probably one of my number one pet hates when people self-diagnose themselves with ADD or ADHD. Those things are a thing, but stop diagnosing yourself if you don't actually have it because what happens is you play down the people that actually do have it, making it seem like it's just, oh, I can't focus. That's not what it is. It's a lot, it's a lot more than that. And B, you start making excuses for your behavior and because you've now created a reason as to your conception in your head that you created of this diagnosis that you don't actually have, then you're not going to get better because you believe it and you think, well, this is just me. I have ADHD. I can't focus. Well, guess what? If you keep telling yourself that, then you're not going to be able to focus. So unless you have a legitimate diagnosis, I don't want to hear it. This bullshit about I've got ADD, I've got ADHD. If you don't actually have it, stop saying that you have it. And if you're genuinely not sure, go and get a test for it. Get a referral from your GP and go to a psychologist and get tested for it. So that way you can actually put together an action plan with a professional to help you make some changes in your life and help manage this disorder. Now, like I said at the start of the podcast, you have to pay attention to your language. So how often are you making excuses, like the one I just said, for your lack of 
sticking power for your lack of focus, lack of drive, lack of taking action. If you are focusing on the fact that you, you know, have all these issues and roadblocks and reasons why you can't do something, fair enough, some of them might be legitimate, but how many of them are actually legitimate and a real roadblock? And how many of them have you just said it because you found something to be difficult? I think a lot of people think that, oh, if I find something really difficult, I must have a problem as to why I can't do it. That's not the case. A lot of people find things difficult, but they just tackle it differently. They will perceive the challenge differently. It's not that the reason they can achieve something is because for them it's easy or what I hate, the term they're naturally smart. That's bullshit. They actually just stick it out and get it fucking done. They get shit done. They do what it takes. They focus. They sit down and push through and keep trying and fail and keep trying and fail and keep trying until they get to where they need to be instead of creating some false reason as to why they can't do it and then bunching everyone else that can do it as naturally smart. You're doing yourself a massive disservice when you do that because you're focusing on all the what you would consider your downfalls, which is I can't focus, I can't this, I can't that. The brain loves being right, so you want to – You want to enhance the fact that you're right by proving to yourself and to others that in reality you really couldn't do it. So I'm not going to do it because I really can't hold my focus because I've diagnosed myself with this condition that I don't even know if I actually have. Now, if you actually have a legitimate roadblock or hurdle or something like a proper real reason as to why you can't do something or why it's difficult for you to do something – then A, that's obviously fair enough. You're clearly not making excuses because it's real. But I would maybe recommend you find someone that is in a similar situation who has done what you wanted to do and had a similar hurdle that you had because that is an expander. You will see someone that's done something that you want to do even though it was really difficult and you're going to be able to be like, oh, okay, it's doable. You're going to start to change your perspective and maybe start to find ways, oh, how did that person go about it? How did they find a way to do it? How did they make that connection, et cetera, et cetera. And then, of course, ultimately there are going to be some situations where you just won't be able to do it. But I'm talking about in general. I'm not talking about people that have a legitimate reason here who why they can't do something. You know what I'm talking about. I'm talking to you you guys who know very well that you have created excuses and reasons as to why you can't do something when you're a fully abled person who really is capable of doing it. We all have 24 hours in the day. We all have a brain. We all have the ability to make some changes. Some people more than others, but everyone has the ability to make some changes in their life. So, When you think about what it is that you are and are not capable of doing, if you start saying, oh, I can't because of X, Y, Z, your brain's going to be like, how can I confirm that and be right? I just won't do it and then I'm right. I'll just confirm it by being right. Your brain will, if you keep telling yourself something and you keep creating reasons as to why you're not doing it, you'll then try and strengthen that belief by acting out those patterns. There have been times where I've come across a uni assessment and this was 
even as early as, you know, two years ago where I w- I've come across an assessment that I've thought there's no way in hell, no way in hell I can get this done. I'm lost. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I'm looking at this. And then like listen to my language. Everything's I don't, I don't, I can't, I can't, I don't, I don't. To the extent that I riled myself up so much, called my mum crying, being like this thing's due in a week and I haven't even started, I can't, I can't, I can't. Having a meltdown and I really wasn't helping myself with my language. Like fair enough, I've come across something that's really difficult that I'm not able to do. But my language was just making me the situation so much worse. And there's my poor mum trying to calm me the fuck down being like, You've just got it like one bite at a time, tackle it one thing at a time. You just need to breathe. Don't look at the bigger picture. Just look at individual things, you know, and had to like talk me down from that place that I was in. And since then, that was semester one of my master's. Since then, I've really changed how I approach my assessments. I now approach them as number one, how fucking epic is it that I'm literally you know, lucky enough, or not lucky, but, you know, gotten myself to this situation where I can be doing my master's in a topic that I fucking love. And now I'm going to look at this, this essay and be like, what about this essay is something that could really interest me? So then I start digging deep into things that really interest me. And then I have an interest to learn to get something done. Is the assessment just as difficult? Is the criteria just the same? Yes, it is. Have I approached it completely differently? Yes, because I'm now approaching it with a problem-solving mentality, a mindset of like, what more can I learn about this topic? Instead of being like, I've got to find 20 references. No. Why don't I actually read up on about, about it? Why don't I actually get interested about what I'm doing? Instead of smashing out this essay so I can just tick that off and get it done, why don't I add this to actual genuine knowledge that I'm going to retain and remember? So now I approach my assessments a lot differently to like smash it out, get it done, and then I forgot what I wrote a month later to I'm going to re- get real and get really interested. And if you're in a position that you're like, I just absolutely cannot get interested because I hate it, then fucking change your degree. Are you studying the right thing Probably not. And if you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life, then maybe reconsider it or find a way of, see if there is a way of getting interested in what you're doing. And if there's just absolutely no way, this is your whole life that you're talking about something that you're studying. So I would, I don't know, I'm just big on loving what you do and, you know, being interested. There's going to be some subjects that you don't love. Like I could not get my head around statistics until the final year where I finally liked it. But there's going to be things that you don't like, but overall, if you're not able to get interested and get passionate, it may not be your thing. When I'm tackling something so difficult, whether it's, you know, an assessment, another thing that I'm working on, any kind of project, a podcast where I'm like really have a deadline, but I can't get my head around it, anything at all, I've changed my mantra. And it's actually a book written by Marie Folio. It's actually a pretty good book, so I'd highly recommend it. Um, and it's called Everything is Figureoutable. And that's like a good mantra to say before I start my essay. I just think everything's figureoutable, everything's figureoutable. And I approach it thinking like some way, shape or form, I will get this essay done. You've got to look at your past. You know, if your past can help reinforce a positive attitude, for example, in my head, every time I struggle, I think, have I ever handed anything in late? No. Have I ever failed anything? No. In fact, I've gotten a pass or better than a pass in the past. So I kind of look at 
my past behavior if it does help reinforce a positive attitude. If your past has been I've failed everything, I've done whatever, then like I said, you're not going to focus on that because what you focus on expands. So if your past has been of always failing, shift your focus onto something else. Don't be like, I've always failed, I've always failed. You've got to use things to your advantage and eliminate the things that are to a disadvantage to you. Now, lastly, I want to talk about how you view yourself as a person, um, this whole self-love, self-hate thing. So if you look in the mirror, I can guarantee you that you have your go-to flaws that you pick apart. Some people, it's they just cannot get it around their you know, their skin, they just, you know, they, they break out, they just can't get around. And for them, that's just the highlight. That's what they're always going to pick themselves apart about. Other people, it's the cellulite. Other people, it's the way their hips are shaped. Or Honestly, you know, they, I'm sure there's like a million things that I haven't even thought of that someone could pick themselves apart over. And you then, because it's your go-to thing, you then start magnifying this thing in your mind that it becomes this enormous thing in your head that other people even if they noticed it they probably would have noticed at a glance and not really care about it and unless you're bringing it up and making it a bigger thing than what it is that person's probably already forgotten about it and it's this idea of again because you're focusing on it in your head it's expanded 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 like crazy and you've just magnified it into this massive deal that then you start feeling really shit about yourself and quite insecure Whereas if you started focusing on either loving certain aspects of yourself or even just being more body neutral, it's that concept of you don't have to adore physical aspects about your body to have self-love. It's that concept of why can't I just see my body as, you know, a vessel that I live in. I'm going to treat it as, you know, as well as I can. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to have a healthy attitude towards it. It's not saying that you have to stand in front of the mirror and being like, I'm the hottest person in the world. It's not about that. It's changing your relationship. Just to have a healthy, comfortable relationship with yourself. Like you can have friends in your life that you don't think are the hottest people in the world, but does that change your opinion of them? No. So why can't you have that relationship with yourself? Why do you have to hate on yourself just because your physical appearance is not to the standard that you would want it to be at? There's a really good um, <clears throat> podcast actually, podcast episode and it's, I don't know what it's called, but it's on the Happy Hour podcast and it's this girl, I follow her on Instagram, her name's Riley, it's Healthy Chick 101 and she does a great interview with the girls about being body neutral. Anyway, highly recommend it if you have the time to read it, to, to listen to it because she does touch on that a lot deeper than I just have. But again, where is your focus? Are you able to shift your focus on, you know, a more holistic opinion of yourself as far as your life and your body being one thing instead of singling out that one thing that you hate about yourself because you're just going to be expanding, expanding that amount of hate that you hold for that one aspect of your body will then transfer onto hating yourself just because of a physical trait. So where, are the, where, where can you shift things and where can't you shift things? Definitely go listen to that podcast if you can. Now, okay, lastly, I want to touch on the neuroscience of everything. Something that we all do is this concept of confirmation bias. Now, confirmation bias is this idea that you want to find things that are going to confirm that what you were saying was right. So if a scientist 
had this idea of confirmation bias, it would really jeopardize the integrity of their experiment and their test because a true scientist is just trying to find the facts and the truth. If you're someone that's getting emotionally invested with something and you want it so badly to be what you set out to prove, then you might do things that are going to sway how the data is interpreted or how people are going to perceive the study to make it look like it confirms what you were saying, even if you didn't get a result, whether it be positive or negative, or if you got a result that proved the opposite of what you were trying to prove. So this confirmation bias is a big thing in science, but it also occurs with people in general. So if you're someone that's always saying something or stating a fact, then every time you go and talk about that topic, you're only going to pick and choose the knowledge that's available or the facts that are out there that's available or even, you know, references that you can use that are going to support your argument, even if there's a huge body of evidence that goes against what you're saying. As long as there's this tiny little bit of evidence or as long as that one person has confirmed what I believe in, then that's confirmation bias. It's saying that I'm true, I'm correct. And the problem is because we identify so heavily with being right and we think that if we're wrong, it's going to be a stain on our identity. We look at it as you know a threat to who we are. Then we protect being right at all costs. And if you've been someone that's, especially when it comes to a belief system, that's when it gets really strengthened and that's when people get really emotional and quite and even violent when you talk about beliefs like look at religions and conflict within religions you're talking about strengthening a belief that you attach so much of your individuality who you are as a person and what you consider to be your sense of self you attach that to your belief so if that ever gets threatened you try and find all these things that are going to confirm for you to be right So that confirmation bias happens on a really highly emotional, massive level, but it actually exists exists throughout your day in everything. Like I was talking about at the start of the podcast about all men are fucked. If you're thinking that, you're going to have that confirmation bias of trying to seek out to be like, see, I was right. See, that just confirms my bias. That confirms my belief. That confirms my opinion. That confirms my argument. So if you look at what you're arguing towards how much of it is beneficial for you and how much of it is going to be good for you and how much of it are you hurting yourself by trying to prove a point. If you're standing there saying, no one in my life helps me, I am isolated, everyone's fucked, you know, I'm, I'm just out here on my own, no one wants to, you know, see me or hang out with me, then what do you think is going to happen? And another thing is that the brain tends to discount information that undermines our previous judgment or actions. So that is why you defend it. That's why you defend dating a toxic person because it's a threat to your decision to date them in the first place. That's why you defend something that you did in the past even if deep down you know it was wrong. You don't want, you know, like I said, we strengthen our sense of self by being right. So you try to discredit anything that, says that your past actions were wrong or whatever, you make excuses for that behavior. The brain doesn't treat information equally or fairly. So we're going to favor things that either make us feel safe or confirm our actions, our thoughts, or our behaviors. So in an argument, 
if you're you start to feel threatened and uncomfortable when something that you said or believe in is challenged and it's that kind of really uneasy feeling and it's that idea where we you know are attaching too much of ourselves to that argument or that opinion whereas if you removed your detachment and you didn't think my sense of self doesn't derive from that and I can turn around and say wow I was actually wrong and people are not going to think you're an idiot for saying that but because you've never done that or you've never experienced that you might feel that it's just like unfathomable that you need to protect what you said at all costs to strengthen your sense of self and for people to believe that you know what you say is valid and has some weight to it but when you encounter someone that has no problem saying that they were wrong, you don't think that person's a fucking idiot. I'm not going to believe what they say in the future. If anything, that person is probably, you're more likely to believe what that person's going to say and that person probably has more validity because they have no problem admitting when they are wrong. So that way when they say something and, and claim to be right, I personally am more likely to believe them because I'm like that person's not emotionally attached to being right or wrong, which I think is really important for us to learn as individuals and as communities. There were even studies that were done that there was a certain region of the brain uh, that would fire if someone had, say you had a belief about something and then someone came and confirmed that belief. So they agreed with you on that belief. The neural activity in that area was a lot stronger. So it confirmed it, it made you even more sure about what you were saying. However, when someone disagreed with what you had to say, that area kind of fired less and you kind of discounted or discredited what that person had to say because it wasn't aligned with what you were saying. So while it might have swayed your opinion a little bit, it didn't make you pause and think and maybe change your mind. You're like, no, I'm still going ahead with this, but I'm going to discredit everything you've said and not really take it in. You know, so it's that idea of kind of discounting and not paying attention to what that person is saying and raising that argument and allowing yourself to get fully emotionally invested in something, especially if someone agrees because if someone agrees, instead of you staying neutral, your argument is even further strengthened. So this confirmation bias happens internally and externally. So either you confirm it or even better, what makes people feel even better if something external confirms what you're thinking. So when you have all these thoughts about how shit you are at focusing or are you able to complete this task or when you think about other people and your expectations on other people all of that has got to do with what you focus on expands if you continue to focus on those things and you're not paying attention to your language you're going to keep getting the same of that thing if you're willing to change your language or change what you're focusing on or change what you're perceiving you're going to weaken those strong ingrained beliefs and you're going to start to allow new and different things into your life. You're going to approach it more with a more fresh mind and you'll probably be open to better, you know, friendships, relationships, engagement with other people. Um, that is all for today's podcast. Guys, if you are doing the Mindset Hacks, it's an extension of this podcast. I'm actually going to be going into specific neuroscience, exactly what areas of your brain are involved in all of this. I'm going to be giving you um, three exercises on how to counteract those things as well. Um, And they'll all be the podcast notes on Mindset Hacks as well, which is a new thing that I'm doing, adding the podcast notes there. 
Yeah, that is all, everyone. Thank you so much. If you do want to join, if you haven't already, it's just alexisfernandez.live. Guys, have an amazing day. Have an amazing week and be kind to yourself, be kind to other people and be kind to your brain. Danke and bye.